how's it going, everyone? This is Dean Vaughn out here at the Dean Vaughn Music Podcast Show in Las Vegas. How's it going? It's Valentine's weekend and Super Bowl weekend all at the same time. And uh, I have a special guest for you today. His name is Mark Boltz. He is a lead vocalist for the heavy metal band Red Raven. Uh, Mark has done a lot of stuff out there. He's played with Ingve Malmsteen, Ted Nugent, Dokken, Ronnie James Dio, the Dio Disciples, and uh, Foundry was one of his big bands. And we'll be showing some uh, images and videos later on in the videos. So I want to welcome Mark Bowles to the Dean Vaughn Music Podcast Show here in Las Vegas. He's been waiting in the green room, and we're hoping to bring him in any minute now. Mark Bowles up here. He's coming in on coming in on the podcast show, Mr. Mark Bowles. And I think we need to unmute that video. <laughs> How's it going, Mark? Good. Uh, oh, there you are. There you are. I see you. Oh, okay. Yeah, man. How's it going? I'm all right. How are you doing? Good, man. I'm just sitting here, you know, trying to figure all this stuff out. You know, I've got so many buttons and you know, lighting and all this other crap, you know. <laughs> okay. Well, that, it sounds yeah. like you're in a big uh, warehouse or something. Does it? Does it? Let me turn off that reverb. <laughs> About now. One. Uh, now you got an echo, but that's okay. You can have some effects. That's okay. How about now? Now you're in the room with me. Okay. 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 That's what I was looking for. Because you know, I'm, I'm running through my rack eleven, and it's got you know, it automatically throws this reverb at me. That's all right. So uh, anyway, thank you for joining me. I appreciate it. And uh, I, after talking with Holly, I wanted to interview you and talk more about your career. You've okay. done a lo- you've done a lot in music. Um, I know you used to sing. Uh, you sang with Ingve uh, Malmsteen. And you, you did some stuff with Dawkins and Ted Nugent and Savoy Brown and former members of Ronnie James Dio, the Dio Disciples. Right, right, right. Uh, just kind of running through some of your early history, I guess. And uh, I said we'd be talking about uh, your latest heavy metal project, Red Raven. Uh-huh. And I've been watching the videos. Wow, man. Awesome job on the videos and vocals. As Absolutely. Thanks. Yeah, yeah, and I, I want to show the video during this uh, music podcast show. Okay. And and so we'll probably talk a little bit about how you got started with that video and um, you know what what went into it and all that stuff. Sure. And it was laid on the line, I believe. But I want to go back. I want to go back even further. I love to go back and, and wonder you know, what happened. When, how did you get in? You know, you're in Ohio, Youngstown, Ohio. Right. And I think there was a population of 60,000 people in that city. Well, actually, it was 150,000 when I grew up. Oh, uh, was it? <laughs> closed the steel mills and everything shut down because everything revolved around the steel industry. So. Gotcha. So very yeah. industrial city. It was in the 70s, in the late 70s. The EPA came in and shut them down because they were all built in the early, like, turn of the century, like 1910, 1920. Gotcha. They were, I mean, there was massive coal smoke everywhere. I mean, all the houses in, around around the steel mills were all brown. They, they started out white and they were brown. I mean, it was really <laughs> bad. But 
They was the economy, and they made the steel for all the cars. All that steel went to uh, Detroit, and those cars were like bulletproof because that steel was amazing. Oh, I'll bet. I'll bet. Now the cars are plastic. But first of all, let's go back. You were raised. Uh, you were raised in Ohio, and I read somewhere where your mom played piano. Right. And your dad played the trumpet. Yes. Yeah. Exactly right. Yeah. He was friends with Hank Williams. Yes, Hank Williams Sr. Well, we're, we're friends with Hank, and they used to go see him play in, uh, down in Wheeling, West Virginia, all the time, which was just across the Ohio River there. And uh, they would go down to Grand Ole Opry, too, occasionally. Okay. Uh, yeah. They were hanging with him all the time. And, and, how yeah. did you, and how did you get started singing uh, heavy metal now? It says you played jazz at some point. Yeah, I start, when I started playing bass, I was really into jazz fusion. You know, I saw Stanley Clark uh, with Return to Forever Band with Chick Corea on, on PBS okay. on TV. And I just said, yeah, I want to do that. That's fucking amazing. I want to do that. And like, I didn't realize that that wasn't a cool thing to do around with all the kids around where I was because they were like, what the heck is that? <laughs> I was like slowing down the records, you know, putting it on. The old record players used to go down to 16 speed. So you took the 33 RPM, you take it half speed. Right. Got all the notes, and I was playing it note for note. I didn't know what I was playing, but I I could do it. And uh, but I found out that wasn't very cool. So I, I found out that rock was cool. So I said, oh, yeah. that that's easy. <laughs> I heard you were quite the bass player. Um, yeah, I still am. I, I still do play bass. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Also I, play, I, also play guitar as well. Yeah, not not as well as uh, I'm not as fluent on that as I mean I'm not a virtuoso on guitar, but I can play. I can play, you know, old school rock stuff. That's cool. So you're into now. You talked about Deep Purple. I was watching an interview, mm -hmm. and, and you were watching Ian Gillian Deep Purple, and it was, kind of it, it kind of excited you about you know, the screaming wolf type. Yeah, you know. Um, I was, I don't know how old I was, but I discovered in the newspaper the uh, Columbia Record Club where you could get 12 records for a penny, you know, and then you had to sign them. You're supposed to buy one every month for another year or two. Right. The kid, and I said, no, I just want the 12 records for a penny. And so I picked out a bunch of stuff, and that's how really I got exposed to that Deep Purple, Jethro Tull, Black Sabbath, all those bands. Because uh, I got their albums, you know, for a penny. So, <laughs> What a deal. I didn't, I didn't really know, uh, you know, it was before Deep Purple got really famous, you know. I, I listened to the In Rock album and, you know, they were obscure. Uh, right, right. In the beginning, and so was Black Sabbath. I mean, right. FM, was, FM radio was not even, you know, that mainstream at all. It was like, uh, you know, these old hippie dudes. Yeah. Smoking weed and playing playing whatever they wanted to on the radio. It also talks about you listening to AM radio because I guess it was heavy rock on there. Well, that's that's all there was when I was a real little kid. I mean, I'm aging myself a lot. Right. Free <laughs> FM and, and at the, the early AM days, at least where I grew up, they played every genre. There was no uh, you know, like country station, rock station, Motown station. They they just played it all. They yeah. Played, you'd, hear, you'd hear Tom Jones. And then you would hear um, Creedence Clearwater, and then you would hear um, James Brown, and then you would hear Marvin Gaye, and then, you know, it was just, and, and then you would hear Michael Jackson, the Jackson 5. It was uh, everything mixed up. Uh, it was awesome. So, so the hard rock, rock stuff. They didn't play the really hard, hard rock stuff. I mean, they played the Who, yeah. and, you know, 
It was all, all good stuff, but I, yeah, my ear, I, when I was in school, I had a little earpiece, and I had my little AM radio inside of my desk, and I would <laughs> the teacher, I'm listening to music all the time, right. and they, the teacher would call me and say, Mark, 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 are, are you, huh, what, what? <laughs> music was more important than anything for me, I just loved it so much. Isn't that funny, when I was in high school, I said, I spent most of my time playing gigs, uh, I used to go to the same school Tommy, Tommy Lee went to. His name was Tom Bass, and we were in the marching band together. Tom played tritoms, and I played snare drum. <laughs> and uh, we left high school at around, I think, the 10th or 11th grade, and we went to continuation. But anyway, <laughs> we, we didn't want to be at school. We were out playing gigs and shit. He was in US 101, and I was in Danger, I think, at the time, Aftershock or Danger. That's great. Yeah. I, so I, I'm also a musician, you know, and, and I love to do the podcast show because I love to hear from other musicians. Mm -hmm. like like yourself and you've done so much you know i got lost uh, i got lost i was trying to get some information on you i, I, I saw your foundry band awesome band um I've, I've been watching video clips and stuff with, with foundry and then of course red raven and then of course i you know kind of brushed over the rest of your uh, i mean you got a huge wikipedia page i don't know how accurate that is but it goes on forever i'm like oh my god yeah this, this guy's done more than most you know heavy metal rock stars in the world You've you've done it. You've done it all. It looks like, um, but you're still doing it, which is awesome. Not yet. I still have a lot more to do. So. Absolutely. Not at all yet. <laughs> now tell me more about. Okay, so I, I want to stay back a little bit. Um, you did some work with Dockett, mm -hmm. and I think you said you were playing bass with Dockett. Yeah. Well, I started out with Don just doing some acoustic shows, just me and him. We both play acoustic guitar and and play and sing Dockett songs. And, we got to be really good friends and, and hung out a lot. He's a really cool guy, really nice, super Is nice. He? And, uh, yeah, I don't know if the reputation he has because he's had some falling out with some with George Lynch and, and some of the other guys in the band. But there, there's there's always two sides to every story. But anyway, sure. he treats me really good. He still does. Uh, he called me to do a gig with them last year uh, when the bass player got COVID. So I, I went out and played a show uh, in Chicago with them. Cool. I also sang backgrounds. I, they have a new album, but I don't think it's out yet. I uh, recorded last year. I did all the backgrounds on that album, and then the album before that, I did all the backgrounds. I'll have him. to keep keep an eye out for it. I was, you know, I was a big heavy heavy metal, hard rock fan. Back, I loved Dawkins, Rat, all, all the big uh, hair bands, and the, I was in the glam era, you know. And uh, and I was I was watching an interview, and they, um, this guy was reviewing your uh, what was it? Uh, Boundary or something, he was comparing you to Rat. And I jumped in, I said, Well, you know, he's way better than Stephen Pearson will ever be as a vocalist. You know, I, was I was comparing you to uh, uh, Klaus Mine, I was uh, Bruce Dickinson. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. I have worked with Billy John Roth, too. I did an album with Billy John Roth from the Scorpions, so I, I know all, and I know Klaus very well. Oh, cool. I probably came close at one point to being in the Scorpions because he's had a couple points where he lost his voice completely and didn't think it was ever going to come back. Um, wow. Those guys are really cool. Um, I recorded the album with Uli in, in his castle in Germany. Wow. I recorded everything there with an orchestra in the, in the ballroom. Oh, how awesome. How awesome <laughs> that must have been. Yeah. And so, I, you know, that's another facet and uh, cool people that I've worked with. So, interesting story I read, uh, you, you were about, uh, I don't know how old you were, you went to L.A., went to Hollywood, and you 
within about six to eight months, you were playing at some, like Oakland Stadium. Yes, that's true. And, and yeah, how I, did I, you how did you move so fast through Hollywood? I mean, you you must have really stuck out. You know. Um, I don't know. I'm, you know, I I I was trying for a while. I didn't. I mean, I went there broke because I I just I had a I went through a bad divorce. As far away as I could, that was as far away from Ohio as I could get. And um, on, on a $99 People's Express plane ticket, one way. <laughs> I had like 60 bucks in my pocket. I mean, a typical story. I'm walking down Hollywood Boulevard, not knowing anybody, carrying two bass guitars in a suitcase, and not knowing anything. Luckily, one of my friends from Ohio knew a couple girls that had moved out there, and they they put me up in their apartment, but I didn't have a car or anything. So I was calling people for auditions and stuff, yeah. but they didn't have a car. They were like, uh, well, call us when you get a car. I'm like, <laughs> uh, okay. That, that sucked kind of, but I didn't understand LA was fucking 60 miles across, you know? Oh, it's, yeah, yeah. If you're, if, you're, if you're right there on Santa Monica or Hollywood or Sunset, you know, you could get around on foot pretty well, you know? <laughs> but, but that's well, about it. These girls live in the valley. They lived in Van Nuys. So okay, okay. It's like another world. Gotcha. gotcha. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I grew up here, you know, in Southern California, and I, I played the Hollywood club scene for about 15 years, and I was in a band called Aftershock and Danger. We used to play with everybody. Uh, yeah, anybody was anybody, you know. It was the big, uh, everybody was a rock star back then. <laughs> we were, you know, you'd walk down the street and there's, you know, every, you, oh, there's Mick Jagger, you know, there's uh, Ed Whistle, you know. Uh, they were all there, you know, and even the lookalikes were there. And I'd hang down at the Rainbow. Uh, have you ever been down there at the Rainbow? Hanging of course. Out? I, 80s, I was, hang, I was there every night that I wasn't on tour. <laughs> because I, I got free drinks there. They had, they had uh, when I was, after I got with Malmsteen, not before Malmsteen, I didn't. <laughs> After that, it was, a, it was a local hangout. So I'd be hanging out with uh, sometimes with David Lee Roth and his crazy crap. And right, right. Really, they were really nice to me. And, and Vince Neil, I'd sit and drink with all night with Vince Neil, and it, it was just uh, it was wall-to-wall people. You know, you were there. Uh, you were there in the eighties. So oh was, my God! <laughs> you know, I, I'll bet you I bumped into you. I know I bumped into you somewhere. I had to. Now you're you're just a slight bit older than me. But, I mean, I was always hanging out with the older crowd, mm-hmm. and I was hanging out down at the Roxy. And I'd take me and Bill Gazzari. We would walk down sun, uh, Sunset there. He'd say, "Come on, let's go down, and I want you to meet my friends." And he, he introduced me to uh, John Entwistle one night. Mm-hmm. We sat down, down ahead. Eddie Van Halen was sitting at the table. John Entwistle and uh, some other other uh, rock buddies. And I was a young kid. I was, you know, young, blonde hair down to my knees, you know, trying to make it in the music business like everyone else. And I was in danger at the time. But man, good time. You know, Hollywood. It took, I don't know about you, but I was. I, it's not the same. It's just oh, not the same. It's not even close to any resemblance of what it used to be. No. You know. Yeah. And I, you remember the Rainbow, man? It was just packed every night. Packed. I used to love to hang out down there. I remember I dropped a bottle right at the door. I was trying to get in, and it rolled all the way down to, all the way down that little driveway. <laughs> they go, you're not getting in here tonight, man. They go, I was all fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it, and it was funny because the tables would all be full of people, and then there would be this constant circle of people walking, right. up, <laughs> trying to see who they could see. Hey, that's hey, that's what's his name? Yeah, that's- yeah. <laughs> There's Mark Bowles. 
uh, one night I was there and I, David Letterman was walking around and Paul Schaefer was next to him. And you know, David Letterman. Oh my God. Oh, and Paul Shaver's like four feet tall. I'm exaggerating. He's, oh, yeah. yeah. He's like looking around like this. And David Letterman's smiling. I think Letterman's kind of tall, isn't he? Yeah, Letterman was, yeah. He could see He could see over the crowd. Paul, right. Poor Paul couldn't see anything. So tell me a little bit. Now, I, I, again, I didn't want to go your entire history because we'd be here for like two days. Um, but it talks about you playing and you were upset because you didn't end up on Ted Nugent's album. Something to that effect. Can you tell me, enlighten me a little more about that? Playing with Ted Nugent? Well, uh, I, I hooked up with Ted in Texas at the Texas Jam because I was playing with Sally Brown with Kim Simmons, who just passed away. God bless him. Oh, God bless. He was uh, a legendary guitar player who influenced a lot of American guitarists, uh, such as Ted. And I mean, there was famous guys. Billy Gibbons would come out all the time and see us. Nice. I love Billy. Uh, all the guys who had anything to do with the blues roots, you know, were, were big Kim Simmons fans. So anyway, he came out and saw me in, in, in Texas uh, and asked me to join the band. And uh, I'm like, okay, sounds cool. Why not? Because I was a big uh, early Ted Nugent music fan. I loved his, his yeah. blues. Yeah, yeah. Stranglehold, yeah. Even well, earlier than that, you know. Uh, uh, how did you... How did you meet Ted? Oh, I'm sorry, I might have missed that. Well, after I met him at the show, he came out and saw me play. Okay, that's right. And, uh, you know, and we talked, and uh, then I, you know, I said, eh, snap, nothing's gonna come of this. And then he, somehow he got my address, he sent me a letter, and then he, he got my phone number, he called me at home, and invited me to come to New York and uh, do the album. The new, he had, he'd just been dropped from Epic, and he got picked up by Atlanta. Well, I up in New York, and little did I know, Atlantic already had a singer that they wanted to use on the album, and his name was Brian Howe. And the, I know Brian Howe, yeah. The producer's name was Ashley Howe. I don't oh. know if there's a relation there, but mm. anyway, they had already decided they didn't want me, and I don't know, it was really kind of upsetting, because I thought I had the gig. I mean, I, I basically had a verbal contract, and, and I didn't even know what that meant back then, but... Um, <laughs> Did, yeah. Brian Howe, did he play with Bad English, some of the guys? Brian Howe, or bad, a Bad Company? He was in Bad Company for a That's while, right. when Paul Rogers went solo. That's, um, right. That's right. But anyway, I ended up doing a tour with them anyway, with him singing. And it was a free, he'd never been in a band before, and he didn't know what he was doing. And oh, wow. Hard time, and it was, it was really frustrating for me. And then I came home and from that tour, and my wife was living with a couple of bikers. And she spent all the money that I had made on the tour. <laughs> That's when you know, it was really shit hitting the fan every every direction of possible. And I just said, I'm going, I'm getting out of here. And, <laughs> no, I, got no, no. I was really disappointed because I thought, I thought LA was, I pictured it as something a lot different than what it actually was. I didn't know you, you would go to these famous places and you put your elbow on the bar and a cockroach would run up your arm. <laughs> I'm talking about the Troubadour. The Troubadour was full of cockroaches, and so was the whiskey. Was those places were dumps. So oh, I said, they were dumps. Yeah, you you, know, you you see them in the daylight. You're like, holy crap! You know, <laughs> shit everywhere. You know, cigarette butts, bubble gum, crap laying on the floor. Yeah. And I was like, this is where Led Zeppelin played, and and, and, Otis, and Alice Cooper, and and, and Elton John. I'm like, <laughs> I'm in, in bizarro world, I thought, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So I'm looking at a picture. I think you're in there somewhere. Yes, I am. That's me with the sunglasses on. Is that you with the sunglasses? And is that the band you toured with, with Yngwie? One of the, that's one of the tours. That's the 1996 Inspiration Tour. Okay. I was just going... Barry Dunaway in the middle, the blonde guy, he's the bass player, plays with the 38 Special now. And then there's Yngwie, and then there's Tommy Aldridge, who of course played with everybody from Ozzy to White Snake to you name it, you know, Pat That's Travis. Right. Yeah, we don't want to say Yngwie, I'll just say him. <laughs> <laughs> and I heard a little bit about, you know, uh, you know, you weren't all happy with some of the arrangements with the Yngwie project, and uh, I'm sure it's no secret. But I mean, to sum it all up in, in probably a, a paragraph, um, that experience playing with him and, and how it ended, how do you feel? Well, it was, a, you know, it was disappointing, basically, when you add it all together. I mean, I had a lot of high points and low points. The highs were really high and the lows were really low. So it kind of evened out to be just a disappointment. But, you know, in the, in the beginning, it was his manager who stole all the money. We had a $6.8 million deal with the first for three records in the first uh, in 1985, and uh, the manager stole like 4.6 million right off the top. Holy moly! Wow. He was stealing all the tour support. We were getting tour support from from Polygram, and and the money was going nowhere. And Ingrid didn't pay any attention because you know he kept Ingrid's pockets. He kept a thousand bucks in his pocket at all times, plus a gram of blow, and plus. <laughs> Plus a rented Jaguar that he told him he gave it to him. He said, this is my gift. It was rented. So he, was, he was kind of full of shit. <laughs> that was the biggest truck I've ever seen. Yeah, and I, I thought things were better after the guy. Finally, they got rid of him a few years later. Uh, and I came back. and um, But it was just uh, somebody else took over. Somebody from Polygram took over. And, and he got fired from Polygram because of the Yngwie deal. Uh, and he took over his manager. And he was a crook, too. And I even had him manage me for a while, and he ripped me off for $100,000. Oh, my God. I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> you know, I, I didn't think much of him. I did watch a couple of interviews. You know, I haven't, I've never been an Yngwie fan. Well, he's he's just a big, spoiled brat. He's like a, he's never aged past, like, seventh grade. <laughs> uh, although he's extremely super talented. I don't take anything away from his playing. He's He plays fantastic. However... Nobody ever hears how good he really plays because he always plays like this character that he thinks he's supposed to be. <laughs> and I've sat, in, we've sat alone together in his house and he just plays stuff. It's, it's totally amazing. But those things, nobody ever hears. Well, okay, so moving on. <laughs> Foundry was one of your big, big projects, right? Yeah, I, I worked with them for a few years. Um, we work with... Uh, uh, his name Colin Britton, the guy who produces and co-writes with Papa Roach and lots of other stuff. Okay. And on modern stuff, but um, the uh, I I ended up stepping away from it because just uh, things were not nothing uh, against the guys. They're all yeah. kind of, sure going the direction I wanted it to go. Well, that's cool. Very very slowly, everything. They they had the guy who runs the band had his own idea of a business model and how things should work, and it just it was taking forever. So gotcha. you released a couple singles with them, correct? Oh yeah, uh, more than a couple. I, I I don't know how many. Um, but uh, original singles, there was at least four or five. Okay. We did some covers also. So that's, that's what I get for going to 
Wikipedia. Uh, so March 2000, I'm just going to read it like it says, you have the number one vocalist prize in the Japanese music magazine, Burn. And Young Guitar. That's correct, as you can see right here. <laughs> there it is. Oh, show that baby. Love it. Okay. Yeah, this is a little uh, trophy. Ah, I love it, man. It's awesome. It's you. <laughs> so at the end of the year, same day, it said your solo CD entitled Ring of Fire mm -hmm. and Ingve Malmsteen's War to the End All Wars mm -hmm. with bowls on vocals were released. However, after many years of musical magic and friendship, the team of Malmsteen and Bowles had decided to move in different directions. Well, and yeah, that was one of the many times that I quit. Uh, and I actually did <laughs> a little bit of touring with them after that, but it never, there was always something, he always pulled some kind of shenanigans. Like, gotcha. you know, pissed me off. But uh, you know, I, I still try to be friends with him, but his manager now, who is his wife, doesn't allow him. Well, he's, he was an alcoholic and he's not allowed to be around anybody who drinks. Not, not that I'm a drinker at all, but he's not allowed to be around any of his old friends. He's not even allowed to talk to anybody, so. Yeah, I mean, even the Swedish guys, they're not allowed to talk to him. Anders Johan, the Hansen brothers, the original members of his band uh, that I worked with in other projects too. Well, he better not come over here because we do a lot of drinking. <laughs> well, he had to, he would have been dead if he didn't quit drinking. He he was drinking forty beers a day for years. I mean, not that's average. So sometimes a little less, sometimes a little more. But I'm forty. So that's like two cases. I drink a lot of beer, but not that much. I know. I I drink like one or two. That's enough for me. Yeah, I was I was talking to your manager. She said you don't drink a whole lot. No, I. That's because, good. Yeah, because, uh, but I, I'm fine. I, I, I enjoy, believe me, I enjoy a good beer, a good glass of wine. I even enjoy a nice glass of fine whiskey, but I, I you know, I keep it to one or two. That's enough for me. Good for you, man. Good for you, because I have my bottle of booze in that company. And, you know, another thing comes up. Now, I just, I'm looking at my notes, the Renaissance Rock Orchestra. I got, I got approached by Greg Fox when I first came out to Las Vegas about a year ago. Because uh -huh. um, I'm from LA, and I'm you know I'm out here renting a house uh, in uh, Henderson, Nevada. And uh, Greg Fox said, "Hey, well, come on down and audition and all this stuff." And I go, well, "What do you want? What do you need?" He goes, "Well, I need a bass player." I go, "Well, I don't play bass." <laughs> he goes, "I'll pay you. I'll pay you twenty bucks an hour to come out and play bass." I go, "Well, I, I play bass, but I mean, I'm not, I don't think I'm the bass player that you want." And uh, I looked at the lineup, and there you are. You're front and center. You're the lead singer of the rock. Uh, the Renaissance Rock Orchestra. Can you tell me yeah, a little well, bit? About it started that? out with a lot of singers and a lot of famous guys in the band. We kind of he's kind of condensed it now to just one singer. Actually, there'll probably be a girl singer too. But um, it's uh, he's kind of focused has changed from being like this massive show to making it just a really great show with you know condensing the whole thing. Gotcha. So I'm still working with him. We're still we're going to release a single here next oh, month. Now Greg is uh, he plays guitar, correct? No, he's a keyboardist. Oh, I'm sorry, keyboardist. I got him mixed yeah. up. Greg Fox, great guy, man. He's a hell of a keyboardist. Take yeah, the last last show we did in Vegas, we had Tony Franklin on bass, Brian Tishy on drums, um, 
we had two guitar players. Uh, we had uh, what was his name? Uh, Chris. Uh, I think of his name now. He plays with uh, Hell Yeah. Uh, Christian Brady on guitar, okay. and another guy. And we had, I mean, we have done gigs with Robin McCauley on singer. It was me and Robin and a girl singer before, but now it's just me. As Robin's is, he's <laughs> he's such a sweetheart. He's a great singer, but he said, "I'm I'm too old for this. You need somebody younger." So <laughs> I am a little bit younger than him, but not that much. <laughs> That's awesome. So, Mark, you've done a video called "Lay It on the Line" with Red Raven. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, that's a new band uh, I'm doing uh, some stuff with, and uh, it's kind of a throwback to the 80s rock style, the Sunset Sunset Boulevard, Hollywood rock sound that nobody's really doing anymore, uh, um, and a lot of people miss that stuff, so I thought it'd be fun to, to do a band that does only that. And so yeah. this was the first uh, song we did. Uh, lay it on the line. That's the first uh, video we did, and there's a lot more to come. That's awesome.
That was awesome, Mark, man. That was an awesome video. It took me back to the 80s. Wow, totally. Well, that's the idea. Just to, you know, where music was fun and people, you know, weren't you know, worried about uh, sounding like everybody else. Oh, yeah, and your voice is so uh, reminiscent of the 80s, but still current. Um, like I said, I put you in that category, the powerful vocal, like Dickinson and Klaus Mine, you know. Like I said, I was listening. Yeah, I just love your voice. Thank you. Yeah, those guys are influences on me. It's well Ronnie James Dio and Ian Gillen, you know, the great rock singers of, of the era. And uh, I'm just well preserved, I think. <laughs> I think it's all those uh, preservatives that they put in the food now. <laughs> I got you. Now that's not from drinking, correct? <laughs> I'm well preserved. <laughs> Yeah. So some of your influences in rock and roll, and I and I was reading a little bit about when you started jazz. You were listening to Chick Corea. Mm -hmm. uh, he's an American jazz composer, pianist, keyboardist, and all that. So what got you into jazz? I just want to kind of reflect back on what, what interests you about jazz. Well, it just seemed uh, when I was listening to, I didn't even know about you know the history of jazz or, or traditional jazz. I got exposed to jazz fusion which was, you know, my first exposure to shredding. Everybody was shredding. I mean, they didn't call it shredding then because it wasn't heavy metal, it was jazz. Okay, that's right. Yeah. You know, the bass player was in Stanley Clark, he was shredding, Al Miola was shredding, the drummer was shredding, and Chick Corea was shredding on the keyboard. Now, this stuff is really extreme. It just, it made, it just got me going. I'm like, yeah, that's yeah. just awesome. Now, were you a Rush fan? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I love Rush. Progressive fusion, you know. United States, they played in Youngstown. Um, first time, first without Neil Peart, with their original drummer, okay. and I wasn't really impressed. But the second time they came through town, they had Neil Peart, and man, was it a different band! Wow, it was freaking amazing. And then the third time they came through, it, it, all three times were at this small theater, uh, like it, it held about 2,500 people in uh, Youngstown, downtown Youngstown, and uh, they had shows there. And uh, the third time they came through, they were arena size playing in a theater, so it was just overkill. It was just, I was just, I mean, your hair blew back. It was so, <laughs> the funniest thing I ever heard in my life. I love Rush, man. Remember when it came out with Tom Sawyer, I think, and found out about Rush. Yeah. They, they started going back and getting commercial, so people could understand them a little better, right? You know? And uh, it, it's funny, because I, I heard when they came out with them, they had only 10 albums out. And you know, if you weren't into Rush, you didn't know them. I love them from the beginning. They they got incredibly, increasingly better. Yeah. With each one. Got seven. Yeah. Yeah. What a great drummer. What a great drummer. I mean, what an entertaining drummer. Oh my God. Just amazing. Yeah. Uh, they had to squeeze him into that drum set. You know, how he <laughs> no, I tried to figure it out one day. I think he crawled in through the back. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, you know, it's really awesome to talk to you, man. I know we got about an hour, I guess, on this today. And I wanted to kind of get your feelings about your new project. I want to find out what you're doing now. And I'm going to be putting some links in the podcast to let people know where to go to find your latest and current gigs you got going on, videos, songs, and so maybe give me a little synopsis or an overview of what you're doing now. You're in Las Vegas. Mm -hmm. Still doing it like I'm doing it. I'm actually trying to put together a band here. Like, uh, hey, you get the itch, right? 
Yeah. And I want to I want to know more about what you're thinking, where you're going, and, and how can people come and see you and all that stuff. Well, it's yeah. There's not much going on here in town, but uh, I've been doing some rock cruises, playing bass with a band called Phoenix um, to make some money, and uh, I have done some record. I've done lots of recordings for European bands and stuff. I have a band called Ring of Fire that. Uh, and had a new album come out in November on, on Frontiers. Okay. I had a band that came out last year. The second album, uh, this is the fifth or sixth album for Ring of Fire. Okay. That's a 20-year period. But I had an album come out in May, I think, of last year with a, a band called Shining Black. Okay. And that's with me. Uh, it's a project with me and Olaf Thorson, who is the guitar player in Labyrinth. Okay. European band. And... Uh, I did some work with uh, Mirka Rantanen uh, from Finland um, for his uh, Circus of Rock. And I'm going to Finland in May and do some shows there. And I'm probably going to do some other solo shows in Sweden and Italy and probably Spain. And also, I'm working on an album in Japan with a, a guy named Kelly Simon, who's a really good friend of mine. Uh, I did some shows with him in 2019 in Japan, cities in Japan. Uh, he's and he's, uh, you know, he we're he's kind of known as the Ingve guy in Japan. He, he he can do all that stuff really well. But we're working on an album together and probably uh, do some shows. I'll probably do two runs in Japan: one with Ring of Fire and one with. Uh, Kelly Simon. Later. You're a busy, you're a busy uh, artist. And we're I'm trying to get this Red Raven going, so uh, maybe do something in the United States. <laughs> have you have you ever taken a break since uh, going back to your 19, uh, where am I, 1986? I'm just trying to look at Have you ever taken a break? You just said, yeah, I need a break. Oh, uh, after yeah, after I quit Ingve the first time, uh, I started working in the Warner Brothers studios there uh, in the scoring stage, uh, doing uh, singing, which was it's called uh, what was it called? It wasn't called singing. It was called uh, voice. Were you, were you like a staff writer? No, but I I was I came this close to being a staff singer. Staff uh, singer, okay. You have to the, the catch with that is I mean it's really really good money. At least it was back then. Really. Yeah. But you have to be on call all the time. You cannot. The first time you're not available, they go down the list to the next. Uh, okay. well, I, heard, I heard about that. Being, I wanted to be a staff writer because I've written a lot of songs and I wanted to go down there and write songs. That's a tough gig, too. I mean, you've got to know somewhere. Oh, yeah. You have to get invited into that whole world and then uh, you have to stay there forever. Yeah. And all yeah. of that's like chain you, chain you to the I was singing in this little glass booth, and there was like 40 musicians. It was, you know, they had all the guys for all the different types of music they needed. Um, they didn't have a full orchestra, but they had a whole full rank of, of musicians because they, they recorded like 80 pieces of music a day. And those guys make really a lot of money because you yeah. get royalties on that. Okay, okay, cool. I didn't know that. Oh yeah, because through through after SAG, you get paid every time those TV shows or those movies play. You get paid again. And it goes way down. It's residuals. Sure. But um, they all told me, "Don't do this. You don't want to do this. Don't, <laughs> don't do this. We're trapped here. We can't get out." 
Because it makes a lot of money. It doesn't matter, don't do it. But I always had, uh, always wanted to do movie scores, things like that. Huh? It's just I'm a keyboard player, you know, myself. Mainly a keyboard player. And I have my studio, I'm in my studio right now, playing green screen. I've got all my keyboards to my, my left here. I've got my Marshall stack behind me, I've got my, my rack in front of me. I'll sit here and I'll, I play everything. You know? I play the wind instruments, my play bass, my sing and keyboards. And I've been doing all kinds of crazy stuff. Hip hop, rap, new wave, dance mixes. My nephew's a rapper, so I'm, you know, I go just and I play jazz before. Uh -huh. so I, I, you know, but I'm a rock, I'm a rock and roll musician. Uh -huh. And I was telling my nephew, man, you gotta, you gotta stay open. You gotta keep your brain open. And you may drift this way, you might drift this way, and find something you really like. But don't, but don't close yourself down, you know, to the rap world. You know, right. Keep, keep your thoughts open, you know? You might be a pop writer, you might do a film score, you might do something different. And, and, and I, have, I have a cousin who's a very famous, uh, he, he, he's doing a lot of scores for famous big movies, Tom Cruise movies, uh, he did the Straight Outta Compton movie, he works, uh, he has his own studio on the uh, MGM lot, and, you know, and he's just doing that all the time, he's super rich. He's. <laughs> He's been doing that. For, he went to UCLA Film School and he he interned for somebody and he got his foot in the door and that was it. And he's doing great. Wow, that's awesome. Like studio players, I, you know, I've, I've been in the recording studio quite a bit. And I remember bringing in studio drummers when somebody couldn't get a part. And for whatever reason, the producer said, hey, you know, we're gonna have to bring in a drummer. And here I'm playing with this guy, Billy Green, I was a new stranger. With mm -hmm. Joe Reg Joe Regitore from Featherstitch. Um, Billy Green passed away But one of the best drummers I've ever heard. And he's up there pounding out this song. It's, it's very syncopated. And the producer says, Man, I'm not feeling it. And he brought in another drummer. And Billy, you know, Billy had to take his drums off the stage and go home for the day. And they brought up this guy. And he put up some sheet music. And he goes, Can I just go through it once? And he went through the song. And then he played it, and we recorded it. Blew, the, blew me away. I'm like, how did he learn that song in 10 minutes? And so I had mad respect for studio players and people who just go in and do that. Wow, well, you'd be surprised. A lot of albums from the 80s, nobody knows who's really playing on them. <laughs> right. Uh, I heard a story with Poison where they kicked Cece out of the studio and brought in another guitar player. Well, even after he had his car wreck, they had the guy playing on, on the album he did with Joe Lynn Turner. Uh, they brought in another guy. And he came to the studio and saw the guy playing and freaked out. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> he, a, he was having a hard time playing after his car wreck. Um, but I, I, know, I know some of those players from, I, I'm not gonna name names, but <laughs> for one example, when I was, uh, actually, let's see, was it 86 or, I think it was 86. Uh, I went down, uh, Nugent was doing a new album at Conway Studio in Hollywood, and uh, at the same time Motley Crue was in there doing a Girls 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 album. Right. And I went down to hang out with Ted, and um, after he finished up for the day, the, the engineer said, hey, we're we going to do some, we need to do some backgrounds for this Motley Crue stuff. And he, Mata was there too, and he got credit on the album, I didn't, because he said, hey, you guys want to sing something? Just sing, just sing, girls, girls, girls. <laughs> We'll fly it in everywhere. And it was just, that was me and Dave Amato. So oh, really? No shit. 
Gas, gas, gas. <laughs> all the Motley Crue guys around, and I don't think those guys played on that album at all. I mean, I, I don't right. But I know for a fact, uh, I, I want to name a band, but there's another really famous band um, who I know the bass player for. Um, I ran in, I was at the Village Recorder and uh, hanging out with some friends and I saw this guy, the bass player from ACDC come in, walking in, he was a friend of mine because we toured with them for like 200 shows. Yeah, I heard about that. What are you doing here? He's like, shh, shh. I said, come on, you got to tell me who it is. What album are you doing? He said, what's somebody really famous? And uh, he told me, and I've kept it a secret, but um, it's funny because I know the actual bass player in the famous band, and he doesn't know that he didn't play on it. <laughs> you know, you know, there's, uh, it's funny because you're right. Um, we play on other people's records, but we can't say anything about it. Right. Um, and uh, I, I, it's funny, I was at the NAMM show, right? It was, it was a few years ago. And, uh, you know, you got, especially at the NAMM show where everybody's on the spotlight, you're, all your endorsements are there. And uh, you know Billy Sheehan, right? Yeah. So Billy Sheehan is standing there with Ted Nugent. They're standing together. Mm -hmm. I go, oh shit, man! I gotta go talk to these guys, right? Let's <laughs> see Billy. And somebody comes up and threw a guitar at Billy Sheehan. It wasn't one of his guitars he's supposed to be playing. Mm -hmm. And he threw it right back. He goes, "Don't ever throw me a guitar again." <laughs> because <laughs> I could get in a lot of trouble for holding that freaking guitar right now and the guy the guy literally threw it he threw it at him and he caught it and he threw it right <laughs> and you know the industry is very very temperamental that way right you know especially someone like Billy you know high profile bass player yeah. major endorsements I know him from when he started out from uh, Talis he had a band in Buffalo New York which was just up the, up the street from Ohio from Youngstown. And we oh, okay. To, my my local cover band used to open for his band Talis. So oh. I know from way 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 back. Nice guy. Yeah, super nice. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's a great guy. And he, I mean, but he used to practice hours and hours and hours and hours a day. And before, while well, the whole time we were playing opening for him, because before we'd go on, I'd see him backstage, playing, 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 playing. And I, we'd come off stage, and he'd still be sitting there playing, 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 warming up. I mean, he'd warm up for like two hours before they'd go on. I mean, he's got so much energy. You know, it shows on stage. You can imagine him leaving the stage and still playing his bass guitar. Yeah, he makes it look like it's it, he, there's no work involved, but he's he works really hard at it. He's know? playing it like Eddie Van Halen when he gets up and he starts doing all that shit. Yeah, like, he can, I, a lot I, of people I, say, well, he should just be a guitar player, but he's, he's doing his own thing. I mean, he's shredding on the bass, that's all. <laughs> so I want to play another video for the audience for uh, She Makes It Hard. And I just want to blow that song and just crank it up. And I'm going to, and uh, I think the people are going to want to hear it. And keep in mind that there's going to be a video produced in the near future for that song. But uh, do you mind if I play that song right now? Oh, great. Let's hear it. Okay, I'm going to roll. She Makes It Hard by Red Raven. Beat poetry in my 
Man, that song kicked some ass. Mark, so uh, what were you thinking when you wrote that song? Uh, I don't know. I was, I was off in the 80s La La Land somewhere. Uh, my mind was floating in space. Uh, <laughs> well, how'd you come up with the name? I mean, uh, it's got a kind of a dual meaning, I'm guessing. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I don't, I'm not sure that I came up with it. One of the other guys I came up with the name. Uh, they were throwing around a bunch of uh, lyric ideas. I think all I held on to was that title. And uh, I love the title because yeah. she can make it really hard. <laughs> and she can make it really hard. There's <laughs> a double meaning, you know. <laughs> a lot of 80s bands do too. So she makes my life miserable and she also makes it hard. Right. It'd be good organ. Yeah. I like that. I wish I had thought of it. <laughs> But uh, yeah, crunching song, man, and I had to play it. So, um, so now that the audience has heard it, uh, be on the lookout for that song, and I'm sure you'll have it available online. Are you? Um, and I, I visited your website. Is there anything that people can buy on the website that you want to talk about? Not right now. I'm getting ready to start a Patreon page where I'll have a, a store okay. and things available. I'm, I'm, I'm putting, I'm digging through my all of my cassette tapes that I've had old demos. Uh, there's a lot of, cause I get a lot of requests for people. Hey, you have any versions of these? There's like a song I did with on a movie, uh, on a Kevin Bacon movie. And it's <laughs> Kevin Bacon. I have demos for that. And people are always asking me to release that stuff. So I'm going to make a Patreon page where I, I can have, where people can just go there and, and they can hear all kinds of weird stuff and see all kinds of weird stuff that I have. And okay. laying around that I thought nobody wanted, but, Apparently, people do want it. Well, they want it now because you're famous. You know, they want it, they want a piece of Mark Bowles. Right. And, uh, you know, it's, I was oh, telling. <laughs> I'm going to put a store on, on the uh, website. I'm just, uh, I'm so lazy when it comes to those kind of things. I just like to do music. You know? I got you, man. I got you. And, you know, I'm an IT guy. That's what I do on my side job. So okay. I, I love to work with uh, the websites. But even at the level that I want to do it, it still takes time. Yeah, um, okay. the marketing and the Facebook and the streaming and the videos and the and, and taking care of the website, making sure the store is working, you know, all that stuff. Yeah, um, I, I, I keep thinking I can do everything on my own because I, I, I've had a recording studio in L.A. I, I can I can record anything. I, I can engineer, mix, I can play almost any instrument well enough to to do great demos at least. Sure. When it comes to the internet, it's kind of out of my league. I probably need to hire somebody to help me out. <laughs> I'll help you if you want. All right. But but you know I, I understand. I understand, and uh, I feel sometimes like I'm you know like I'm a dinosaur. You know because all these young kids are, you know they're born and they're computer geniuses by the time they're 10, 12 years old. Um, you know it's just amazing. And when I was you know naturally when we were born and got into technology, it wasn't until way later. And it was it was it wasn't like it is today, um, and so especially in the recording business, right? Uh, you know, being able to sit down and record an album. Yeah, I, well, I was you know I, in the beginning I was totally against digital and I was against all this plugins and everything that we use and that everybody uses now, but they sound so freaking good now. <laughs> I've been selling off piece by piece all of my outboard gear because I don't need it anymore. Right. Okay. Uh, because. Uh, well, I use mostly Universal Audio plugins because they just sound, they're, they're incredibly, I can't, you can't tell the difference. That's awesome. And what they put out. 
and they use a lot of different companies. So I'm not, I'm not endorsed by them or anything. But um, now, now, do you do you have endorsements now, or, or are you pretty much an open, open? Uh, I I need some endorsements. I, I I don't. I haven't been to Nam for a while, and and I don't keep in touch with all those people at, as companies. They keep changing anyway. Right. Right. Uh, I do have some friends at EBS in Sweden, which is, uh, they make bass equipment, and I, I've gotten some gear from them. I, I have to say kudos to them. They make fantastic bass gear. They make amp, they make uh, pedals. Uh, Bill Sheen has his signature pedal with them. Okay. Uh, so EBS, yeah, I have EBS, and that's it. EBS? Yeah. That's awesome. Um, you know, and I, I'm not a force money, but I'd love to get a force sure. Through my entire career, I just, I, you know, I go to the NAMM show and I say, hey, I'm going to try to get some, you know, to back me. And anyway, I play an ovation 12th Street. Uh-huh. Nice. I, love this, I love the sound of that guitar. It's really a full of jazz chords. Oh, yeah. I love that guitar. And I play a little live in some of my picks. So those are the only two guitars I own that make five acoustics. And when I go in the studio, I plug it in, I make it sound. Sure. I don't need 20 guitars. Besides, I don't even consider myself a guitar player. Someone says, we play it. Yeah, I mean, I could endorse some microphones, but I mean, um, I could use maybe an endorsement for live for, for maybe sure or Sennheiser. I use Sennheiser, but I could sure is pretty much, uh, I'm thinking of going back to sure. Um, and the microphones I use in the studio, I don't use anything new. It's all really old stuff. It sounds fantastic and it's handmade and... Yeah, and they sound awesome. I'm sure Sure's made great products since the beginning. I have the uh, SM58 Beta. Yeah, my main microphone is a, is a U47 uh, Neumann, which is super old. And I mean, if you buy the, have to buy the tube for it, it's $5,000 for the tube, so... <laughs> And they don't make them anymore, so that's why they're so expensive. The, the tube, it's a military metal tube. Oh my gosh. I bet it sounds awesome with your voice on it. It does, and I, I've used every microphone you can think of. Um, in fact, when I did the first, when I did the trilogy album with Ingbe, which is the first album I did in a huge studio with unlimited budget and unlimited cocaine, by the way, too. <laughs> uh, they put every mic, every like vintage mic up and had me sing through all of them because the uh, the engineer who was Ricky Delena, Eddie Delena's brother, Eddie's working with uh, Michael Jackson. Oh, wow. Okay. He was kind of mean to me and he's like, well, what microphone do you record with? And I'm like, I don't know. He said, well, what albums have you done before? And I said, none. <laughs> what are you doing here then? I was like, no, I'm here to make an album. And so he had me sing through this microphone and this one and this one and this one and this one. And he said, Oh, you're distorting it. You're distorting it. You're singing too loud. You're singing oh, wrong. <laughs> and that started my hate relationship with engineers. Um, well, they can be they can be uh, a pain in the ass. You know? Finally, for that album, they finally used it. They found a C12, a vintage C12, the real one. Um, do you remember? Do you remember when we crossed over to the digital world? Now, mark me if I'm wrong. My my sound engineer at the time for uh, Danger brought in a DAT machine. Remember the DATs? Yeah. And it was it wasn't very long where the DATs kind of everything went to CD and you know, digital. But right. Was, was DAT the first time we started crossing over to digital on a recording live concert? I believe so. Yeah. Um, 
the, remember the big cassette-looking tape? It was kind of a boxy-looking tape. Well, that tape was kind of small. It was smaller than a cassette. Right, 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 right. It was like a small miniature cassette. Yeah. And I remember it was such a pain in the ass. You know, my, my engineer, he's great, great engineer, but he got a hold of this new DAT machine. I, he brought it to the Sunset Club in Sierra Madre, California. And I did a gig uh, there. It, it was really cool. And I still have some recordings that I, I put out recently that were done on that DAT machine. And that was the very beginning of digital. I talked to my nephew about it. He said, I never even heard of that. I, well, I, still have, I still have a DAT machine in my studio here, just in case I'm digging out any of the old DAT masters that I have. Okay. I, I haven't turned it on for, I don't know, 10 years maybe. I don't know if it works anymore. Right. I mean, how long was DAT really uh, popular? Was it a, was it like five years? Was it longer than that? Well, it was longer than that, I think, because uh, we're... They would make you make safety copies of masters that way. That's right. Um, but uh, the actual digital masters, you know, that they used in the in the mastering houses, were, they were using VHS tapes. Or no, 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 a beta. That's the right. For the masters, for the digital masters. It, 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 <laughs> oh yeah, right. So do they still have mastering houses today? Oh yeah. Master. Yes, but I, I think they're losing a lot of business because again, the plugins are taking over. I mean, you have you have all this software now that kind of has AI and it kind of does all the work for you. But as a result, that's why all the bands sound the same. They're right, just, right, right, right. <laughs> all using the same. I was just gonna say that. Um, what do you think about some of the AI? I, I'm not a big fan of it because uh, it's gonna it's gonna change things I don't want to change. Yeah, it's, taken, it's taken all the decisions out of our hands, and the decisions are what's part of the creativity. Yeah, like all of a sudden the vocals go flat, like what happened there, you know, probably flatten the top of the EQ chain, you know, and all of a sudden I've lost my, you know, whatever I just did there, if it was a scream or whatever, everything got kind of flat. And, was, you know, that's just my my opinion on that. I, I ran one of my songs when it came back and now I'm looking for a good plug-in. Is there anything that's worthwhile? There's a lot of new stuff that I haven't even tried yet, but um, what do you mean for mastering? Yeah, like if I want to uh, mess around with um, um, harmonies, I, I want to take the vocal tracks and really mesh them together. I'm looking for something that can help. Well, if you want to line up the tracks and make them like there's vocal line. Vocal line works for that. It lines up the actual waveforms. It lines them up and makes it makes you can have a loose harmony. Okay. Okay. It's called vocal. It's called vocal line. Vocal line. Vocal line. Yeah. Vocal line. Uh, look, okay. O c a l i g n. Vocal line. Okay. I'm gonna look. I'm be looking for them because I'm really. That's where my struggles at right now. I, I want these big giant. You know, like I was listening to your album. The backups are huge. They just sound so perfect. Yeah, I do. That's piece of cake for me. I'm really good. At that. <laughs> for you, it is. Yeah. So, how long have you been recording professionally in your life? I mean, how many years? Well, I don't know if professional or not, but I, I recorded myself on my dad's tape recorder when I was five. But that doesn't count. <laughs> well, okay. So you became a professional musician at five. <laughs> but uh, the first album I ever made was in 1986 with Ingvi. It was a trilogy album. It's the first album. I mean, so that's huge. That's huge. 
So yeah, 86. What I was, uh, you were born in what, 50, 59, 58? Yeah, somewhere around there. Yeah. Somewhere around it. <laughs> we, we won't talk about age. It sounds, you know, it sounds so foreign to me. I don't, I don't relate to age really. Neither Not do the, I. Neither do I. I want to. It's just, I look at how the numbers of my age and it doesn't make sense to me. So. Well, you look young. You know, I, I'd put you about 35, maybe 40. Oh, no. But I, I could probably take a 10 years off. <laughs> I'm 59. I'm, I'm getting old. Uh, but, you know, I've been rocking. I've been rocking a long time. I was 14 years old when I played Hollywood. And I cut, oh. my, I cut my first single um, in 1979. Wow. Yeah, it was called High as a Kite and uh, never, uh, Under My Skin and High as a Kite. Hey, you've and, been doing it longer than me, then. <laughs> well, well, yeah, but it was just this cheesy little well, actually, secret. You know, I, I actually recorded stuff with Savoy Brown, but it never made on an album. I recorded stuff in Cleveland with Kim Simmons, uh, now that I think of it. And that was in, like, 1982. So that was way before Ingbe. And I was what supposed you, to do an album with uh, Ted Nugent in 1984, but that didn't, you know, didn't come about. I, well, I didn't finish that story. What happened with that, uh, with you and Ted Nugent on that? Well, that, like I said, that the producer Ashley Howe brought, had Brian Howe already. Oh, okay, there. that's right. Okay. In the studio, and uh, Ted finally came to me. They had me sing for the producer. They had me. We went to SIR and, and played live. And we had. Uh, they had also. I was supposed to play bass and sing, but the producer brought in Billy Squire's rhythm section for that. Oh, really? So, yeah. So I got to sing with them. Uh, they had them all at SIR, and I, I sang live. Uh, like three or four songs and yeah i didn't mean to bring that up again and, uh, and then yeah. ted came to the room he said i don't know you know i i can't do it well his his last two albums for epic bomb big time so uh, okay at the mercy of the label at least that's what he was telling me um now now i find it pretty impressive that you were able to hang out with acdc for 200 shows um, and the well, interview was two tours. That was two tours. Two, that was two tours. And you yeah. said it was the loudest band you've ever heard, <laughs> or something like that. On stage, just, <laughs> I mean, I thought Engbe was loud. The Engs, <laughs> he had. I mean, they had actually the guitars. They had the amps. They had mic'd up were actually under the stage in in containers, so they were completely controlled. But on stage, he had walls of marshals. And he had double stack on either side of the stage. Oh my God! On ten, uh, I mean, <laughs> monitoring. Uh, you know, so and it was just, and they had the whole front of the stage had a grill, and there was floor monitors all the way across. Wow! Eat this grill, and then there was floor monitors flown above. <laughs> so, um, so Brian. Uh, Brian, I hung the singer. I hung out with him a lot. We had a lot of laughs. He's Brian really Johnson, yeah. And he's like, look at this. Look what they've done to me. <laughs> he's he a gave fun me, guy. He gave me, he was a pop singer before that. He was a pop singer in London. Oh, was he a pop singer? Okay. Yeah. He had a band called Gordy. Gordy. I think Jordy or Jordy. Yeah. He gave I, saw, me a, I, I saw an interview. He's a funny guy. I watched an interview with him. Really funny. He's super funny. I hung out with him a lot. I hung out with the bass player a lot. And uh, that that band was so nice. They're they're like family. They're super super nice. Great guys. Uh, I, I watched a one hour documentary on their uh, behind the scenes with ACDC, and uh, the guitar tech would, did like a whole thirty minute segment on how he uh, designs and builds uh, Angus's guitar guitar setup. And wow, I don't know if you've ever seen that before. 
and wow. said, I've never even heard of this shit. And it was, he goes, this is why it's so loud, you know, and it's just <laughs> make it fucking loud, man. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, that guy is like a little machine. And I mean, I'm not, he's older than me now and he still rocks the stage with nonstop for an entire two hour show. At least. I mean, That's incredible. I mean, where does he get the energy for that? That's how he stays nice and skinny, I guess. Well, yeah, this guy, I almost, those guys are rather short, too. I mean, I thought I was short. <laughs> I think Angus is five foot zero. Is he five? <laughs> Brian was like about five two or something. He's, they were both shorter than me, so I, I felt like, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay, so you're right in there. I'm a short guy, too. I'm like five four or something like that, five five. I'm five seven, sorry. Okay, well, you know, you're taller than me. <laughs> And so I heard uh, Brian Johnson, I don't know if it was a rumor, they found him, uh, he was like a karaoke singer, but you're saying he was a, in a pop band. Yeah, he was a pop singer. Yeah. Okay, and he he just sounds so great with ACDC. Yeah, well, it's just like, you know, Ronnie G, James Dio was a doo-wop singer before he mm. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah, I have some 45s of him. Uh, no Ronnie, kidding. Yeah, Ronnie Dio, it's called, he was calling himself when he went solo, but he had a band called Ronnie in the Shadows or something like that. It was doo-wop music in the 60s. Is it out there? I can hear it. Yeah, it's, yeah. Oh, yeah. You can look at it. Yeah, look at it. It's on YouTube. I'm going to have to look them up, man. Yeah, so. Um, well, we're, we're going on about an hour and 12 minutes. You, um, how you feeling over there? You got things to, things you got to get going? Oh yeah, on? I got to take my kids. To, I got to pick up my kids from school. So okay, just... so so let's wrap up. Is there anything you want to say as we uh, uh, for the outro of the podcast show? Well, I want everybody to check out Red Raven. That's the newest thing I have going. And uh, make sure you check out all the other stuff I have going too, because I, I I I'm trying to survive and not get a real job. It's too late. For me. <laughs> uh, I got you. Well, that's why I'm opening a, a Patreon page too. So I hope everybody that's like wants to check out a bunch of weird stuff that I've got from the uh, closet. The, the Patreon page. Um, will that be a, do you have the URL already? The domain? No, I, it's not, I haven't launched it yet. Okay. I haven't, I've been building it. You know how you build it offline. I've been building it and uh, I'm probably going to launch it in another week or two. Well, we want to get that thing going so you don't have to go work at Taco Bell. <laughs> I heard that story. <laughs> Yeah. I, <laughs> was that in Hollywood? I did work in Taco Bell in Van Nuys. I didn't okay. have a car. I didn't have a car. I could walk there from the... <laughs> Were you able to play guitar there in the back room? You know, and just grab <laughs> No, but I made myself some really killer, killer burritos. I'll bet you did. <laughs> uh, the girls would not let me touch their food. They said, like, but don't touch our food. Oh, man. Why? Why is that? Uh, so listen up. Uh, uh, so we want people to look out for uh, what you got coming up. The Patreon page, uh, Red Raven is hot right now, and uh, we've showed the video during the podcast. I hope you all enjoyed it. Yeah. And and Mark, I really really thank you for coming on the Dean Vaughn Music Podcast Show here in yeah. Vegas. There's a lot of new music coming from Red Raven. I'm working on a lot of new stuff too for them. Right now. Awesome. Will you let me know when that comes out, or I'll I'll be on the lookout for it. Absolutely. Okay. Hey, Thanks, listen. For Thanks for having me on the show. Man, Thanks for coming on. You, you, it's been a, it's been a pleasure and I'm honored to have the chance to interview you and good luck with your future. And uh, if I can be of any help, please call me. Well, thanks. Stay, stay in touch. I will, Mark. Thank you. Have a good day. I live in Vegas too, you know.
hey, let's get together and have a drink. All right. Sounds good. Okay, Mark. Take care. Yeah, cheers. Take care.